Welcome to another episode of Talk to Tatiana, and I'm excited to have Stacy here with me today. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tatiana. It's great to be here. I appreciate the offer. Awesome. And I'm, I'm excited to have you here because I think that what you do is, ha- is very cool and really exciting and maybe um, surprising, unexpected opportunities that exist. And so without further ado, I would love to um, have you talk a little bit about what you do and whom you serve. Super. Yeah. So uh, I help military, either veterans or or active duty who are just about to separate, I help them explore franchises as an opportunity for their post-service career. So I work with veterans, soon-to-be veterans, spouses of veterans, because it's a big challenge for, particularly for spouses of veterans, when they're being moved every two to four years, it's difficult for the spouse to have an active career because they're always starting and stopping. And then the businesses that are physically located around military bases and posts know that the likelihood of those spouses being transferred is high. So they typically want to hire people for positions they're underqualified. Well, they're overqualified for the positions are um, under for, for the skill set of the spouse. So a lot of times they don't realize that there are franchises that you can buy that are not limited by geography or that are part-time if you don't want to work full-time. Work from home, you can have an absentee owner in a franchise situation. There's just so many different ways uh, that some franchises are structured that it's not only the McDonald's and Burger King that most people think about. Yeah, for sure. That's what the bigger ones are the first that come to mind. Also, dance and always in the food, always in the food industry for some reason. I think about uh, dance studios just because you know our friends have um, an Arthur Murray franchise. I'm very familiar with it, but Fred Astaire and other stuff. But it's interesting how um, you know when with our friends, for example, that own an Arthur Murray franchise. franchise studio, I asked them in the beginning when they were just thinking about it, I asked them, why don't you just open your own? And they were like, no, you don't understand when, uh, when you are under Arthur Murray, it's first of all, they have their own regional uh, competitions, uh, you know, different like ballroom events and things like that. And people pay money to take more lessons to be a part of that. And so that's really meaningful. And it really changed my perspective in terms of uh, franchises. So I really appreciated. And I know that there are franchises, for example, CPA moms, um, and some and similar stuff that exist and you can buy into, which is really cool. Um, what I would love for you to talk about is why, um, and how, uh, one can explore a franchise and what franchises are out there just in terms of industries and options and things like that. Oh, wow. So there are 4,000 franchise brands available right now across now, when, when we talk industries, everybody throws out a different number. So I'm sure that there's subsets upon subsets upon subsets, but at least 40 industries. So 4,000 franchises across 40 industries. There's everything from child enrichment. You talked about your friend with the Arthur Murray. I had a I had three School of Rock locations. And it's the same thing because at School of Rock, the kids not only take their music lessons, but they also do a performance. 
what we used to do in the summer is we would take them on tour. So literally climb in a tour bus and go from city to city to play concerts, sort of like a, um, what do you call it when you're in college and you get to try a job, an internship. So it's kind of like an internship into what it's like to be a gigging uh, musician. But the only reason we were able to do that was because we went to towns that had other schools of rock. So they would set up the concert and then it would be mainly their friends and family that came to watch. So the kids were getting a true rock and roll experience that they were playing in towns that they'd never been to before. They had the bus ride, get off, go play grab a slice of pizza, go to bed, get up the next day, do it again, right? But like your friend with the Arthur Murray, the only reason that I could do that was because I was going to these other towns with other schools of rock. So I didn't have to worry about backlining equipment and hauling all that equipment and doing the marketing for the shows in all those different towns. And and it's something that School of Rock to this day is still the only child enrichment music program that does that. Um, but your friend is, is right on a number of levels. It's because of the brand. I mean, one of the hardest things and one of the things that takes the absolute longest is to build a brand reputation. And when you buy into a franchise, you've already got that brand reputation built. Or the people who have the independent businesses that they're trying to get to page one on Google. And that takes a lot of marketing effort. And typically you're paying somebody who knows something about SEO optimization and digital marketing and all that good stuff. So it's going to cost a lot of money and time to get an independent up to on page one. But again, because that franchise has has had that brand and they've been marketing and promoting it for so long that when you buy into that franchise in whatever, if it is in a geographic location, even it's more likely to come up at the top of Google just because they've been doing it for so long and it's so big. So you get the benefit of the big brand without the responsibility of the big brand. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like you mentioned, you've got um, the accountants, so you can do accountants. One of my favorites for moms is actually this, well, actually I'm going to back up. So there's there, I say there's four reasons why people buy, or start their own business. One is they want more money than they're making in their job, or they think even if they're not working, they think owning their own business, they can make more money than in a job. The second reason is flexibility. You may want to have a career where you can still take your kids to school, pick them up, go watch their soccer games or their you know, music concerts or whatever in the middle of the day. So you've got the flexibility to do that. You have the freedom to make your own decisions. I mean, how many of us have had a job and a, and a, I don't want to call it an order, but for lack of a better word, an order comes down from on high and you're like, oh, that's a terrible decision, but you're still, you still have to do it. Right. So when you own your own business, all of those decisions are the, the final decision is yours to make. So you've got money, freedom, flexibility. And then the last one is fulfillment. And that And I bring that up because as I was about to tell you about this one franchise that I think is the coolest thing in the world, it is, I think it's called Stroller Moms. And it's for new moms and they get with other new moms in their community and they organize outings with kids in strollers. 
So you may be like going on a walk in the park, pushing your kid in a stroller, or, you know, you may be, maybe you're, I don't know what all, it's been a long time. It's been 30 some years since I had one in strollers. So I can't remember what all we used to do, but if you're looking for like fulfillment, imagine if you're a military wife and you transfer to a base and you know, you've got one in, in a stroller and you're meeting these other moms with babies in strollers. Now imagine if you were the one that just sort of like organized everybody to do things together. So you're getting to meet other moms that were facing the same things because they were in that same stage of life as you with a kid in a stroller. I just think it's a really cool business concept. Yeah, I love it. I'm taking some notes. So uh, don't mind if you hear my keyboard clacking. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And I think that um, there are quite a few franchises. And when I saw some of like the CPA mom franchise, I thought, oh, there's like even that franchise. So it's, there's definitely a lot of um, surprises, I guess, in a good way, good surprises out there in terms of the opportunities to buy into a franchise. And so um, I know that when we connected earlier this year, a little bit earlier this year, you mentioned that... Um, why you decided to sort of specialize in the military personnel, pre-retirement, retirement personnel in terms of franchises. And I really liked what you shared about what it takes to run a franchise and why franchise owners may be looking for exactly a military background or, so I'd like you to talk to talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. So I come from a multi-generational military family. So we are, 10, we're just our 10th generation is starting this fall at the Naval Academy. Um, so when you think about a franchise business, one of the things that causes some entrepreneurs to not be interested in it is the fear of a lack of freedom. So you can see that as a negative or a positive. So I see it as a positive because what happens is they've done, the franchisor has done all the work to figure out how to make this operation work exceptionally well and how to be lean and how to be efficient. And, and so they essentially have the playbook done for you. And then they hand it to you along with a staff that supports you and says, okay, you don't need to think about how to do it. We've already figured that out. Just execute to precision. And if you think about the military, that's also their mantra is they already have things figured out. They just expect everybody in the ranks to do their part with exceptional precision. And when everybody does their part to the best of their ability, that's when success comes about. So the idea that in the military, you're trained to receive this and you know that whatever part you're doing contributes to a, a bigger mission. And the same holds true in a franchise because if you own the franchise in Minneapolis and somebody that owns the franchise in Des Moines does something wrong and it causes some, some bad press in Des Moines, then you're going to feel that halo effect negatively or positively in Minneapolis or wherever else you might be. So you really are working for the greater good of all franchises when you're when you're working within a franchise. And again, very similar to the military mindset. So from the 
precision and execution to understanding that you're a part of a, of a much bigger thing to understanding the value of processes and procedures. All of those elements that make for a strong military also make for a strong franchisee. That's awesome. And now uh, would you share kind of how you embarked on your journey as an entrepreneur? Because usually I like to hear stories of how different entrepreneurship paths um, unfolded. And so I'd be really curious to, to know how you've where you started and how did you arrive at where you are today? So my my dad was in the Air Force for 23 years. My brother joined the, he's older than I am, and he joined the Air Force right out of high school. And I went to college. And so my parents just assumed I would apply for officer candidate school when I graduated. But I was a little bit of a rebel when I was in college. And I knew that there was no way that I would hack it in the military. Um, so I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and my mother, whose father also was in the military, all she had ever known. She, so she grew up in England in world war two. So all she knew was war. And then her mother married an American air force guy. And that's how she got to the States. And then she married my dad. So all my mother ever knew was war and military life. And so the whole idea of me being a civilian just scared the heck out of her. And, and even worse would have been if I'd have been an entrepreneur. So I couldn't let my parents down that badly. So I got a corporate job and I ended up climbing the corporate ladder. And at 45 years old, I still had that itch to own my own business. I had a wonderful job. I worked with the most amazing people and I made great money and we made a difference in our customers' lives. And yet I still, it was that fulfillment thing for me. I had to try and, and know if I could actually be successful owning my own business. Uh, so I came across the School of Rock, and this is not the way I recommend people do this, um, but I came across the School of Rock by accident, because my son was in a, a music camp that performed, and he said, oh, when he stepped off the stage at 14, 15, 14, that was the greatest high of my life, and I'm just bummed I have to wait a year to do it again. And I'm like, there be someplace you can do this. So I looked around our town, and there wasn't. Uh, there were just the summer camps. So I went online to find a place that might have another summer camp. And I found the School of Rock in Philadelphia. And I told, asked them if they had any more summer camps. And they said no, because it was August and they were all finished. So I told them what I just told you. And they said, well, we're getting ready to sell franchises if you're interested. That's how I became an entrepreneur. So, yeah. So I had it in the back of my mind that I always wanted to own my own job, my own business. I didn't know what to do. My son decided he wanted to be a rock star. I found this music school on the East Coast. I knew if I waited for somebody else to bring it to the Midwest, my son would not only be out of high school, he'd probably have a kid in high school because it's so long for new businesses to come sometimes to the Midwest. So I mortgaged my house. I pulled money out of my 401k and I bought three locations of this new franchise called the School of Rock. And 
16 years later, um, I was down to one. I had sold off the other two. And I sold it for just south of a million dollars. And I decided I was going to retire. And I walked around my house for a couple days. And then I called my brother and said, what do retired people do? I'm so bored. And he said, well, I play golf. And I said, well, shoot, I don't play golf. So so a friend of mine said, well, because when I was at um, School of Rock, I sat on the franchise advisory board uh, for many, many years. And one of our roles was to help new franchisees get acclimated, know where to go, give them some advice, that kind of stuff. So I was always training all these new new franchisees. And somebody said to me, well, why don't you do that like as a business outside yeah. of just School of Rock? And I was like, that's an idea. Yeah. And that's how I came to this position I'm in right now. <laughs> wow. That's really cool. So you were on the board of the franchise franchise board. Was that like a local or was it specific to School of Rock? Specific to School of Rock. So international specific to School of Rock. Most franchises have a franchise advisory board. And it's um, it's like a consultancy board to the franchisor, but it's also from the franchisor to disseminate information to the franchisees as well. I mean, obviously the franchisor is doing that anyway, but it's particularly helpful if there's a contentious point or something that, you know, sometimes people just want to scream and fuss about and you need some cooler heads to prevail sometimes. Yeah, of course. Always, actually. You know, the, franchi- the franchisor's job is to help you generate revenue. But they're not in charge of your expenses, and they have no control over your expenses. So they can't really be responsible for your profitability, right? So oftentimes, people, franchisees, will get upset with um, if, if there's a raise in, like, the royalty percentage or something like that. They feel like the franchisor is just taking it directly out of their pocket. And so there can be some friction or tension. But if you think about, like, let's say the average royalties, by the time you put in the royalties and the the um, ad contribution and, and the brand fund, whatever, let's say it's an average of 10%, right? Well, you couldn't hire a marketing manager and an IT team and a web development team and a lead generation team, and an operations team, and an R&D team, you couldn't hire all of those people for 10% of your revenues. And and that's your support team. So oftentimes when somebody buys a franchise at first, they're okay with the royalties. But then once they get the the rhythm down and they figured out how to run the business, then they're like, I don't want to pay those royalties anymore. You know, but you really do need that entire team and you cannot replace it for the amount that you pay in royalties. So, yeah, <clears throat> makes perfect sense to me. I hope it does to people listening uh, as well. I think it's very important to to remember. And I think you're right. I actually took some notes. And so those of you who are listening or watching, you'll be able to see it uh, below the video or in the show notes to the podcast. Um, took some notes on the reasons why people start businesses and also um, uh, what what a franchise really means and why military, retiring military personnel could really benefit from it because what they do best is executing orders. And so 
uh, executing a proven system. Um, and so I think that that's really, uh, really important to, to know. And so talk a little bit about kind of what, what you do now in a sense that what does your work with someone like that looks like? What do you provide and how do you support uh, the retiring military um, in franchise acquisition? Yeah, great question. So um, there's a couple of avenues you can go down. Our, our what I guess I'll call signature program is our boot camp. And it's a month long and we meet three times a week. And each week we discuss a different area of franchising. The purpose of the boot camp is to help people understand how franchising works and then introduce them to the breadth of opportunities. We don't actually represent or sell franchises. So this is the step that you take if you think owning a franchise might be something that you want to do, but you don't really know anything about it. So for example, every franchisor is required to produce what's called a franchise disclosure document which is a regulatory document of 23 points. It doesn't get much more boring than that. Most people don't read that document. I did not read that document. You should read that document and you should hire an attorney to read it with you. Um, but one of the things that we will do in, in the boot camp is go over those 23 points, not to say what they say, but to say what they mean. So as an example, when you buy a franchise, there's generally a term to the agreement. And it's generally five years, 10 years, or 20 years. And if you look at that, you're like, well, I know what five years means. So it means that if I sign this contract, I'm going to be obligated to work with these people for five years. But what it also means and what you don't think about is the rules that govern you as a franchisee cannot change in your contract period. So that only changes every time your contract's up and you renew it. So for example, let's say you start with a startup franchise like I did, and my royalties were 5% because they were a startup. My contract term was 10 years. Well, over 10 years, those royalties had gone up to 8%. And the ad brand fund has gone from 1% to 3%. So now it's a total of 11%. So as they raised those royalties, as they grew and got more mature and built more franchises, I was still at the very low end because I was one of the first five franchises in the, in the network. But they could change that at my contract, which they did, right? So it's it's those kinds of things. It's like, Yes, you can read it. No, one is five years and one is 10 years. But what's the relevance of that within the context of owning a franchise? Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and I think that many of us think about it kind of proactively as we think about franchises in general. And it's, yes, five years you're staying in this, in this setup. But then what happens after five years would be my question. Exactly. And so do you do you renew it? Do you sell it? Do you add another one? So, you know, um, another thing to think about and we talk about in, in the course is let's say you have one hundred thousand dollars to invest in a business. So first thing I'm going to tell you is even if you have one hundred thousand, don't spend all hundred thousand. Spend fifty thousand and go get a fifty thousand dollar loan. Agreed. 
right? And, and, and we can go into more depth. You can go into more depth than that at another time. But that's thought number one. Thought number two is, do you want to buy one franchise that's location is going to cost you 100000 Or do you want to pick a smaller, less expensive franchise, the same brand and buy two or two different brands? They can't be competing, obviously, but two different brands. And to, um, what's the word I'm trying to come up with, Tatiana? To diversify, to diversify your income streams, right? Um, So I would say go with the smaller one, start it, get it up and running, and then add the second one, because then you're going to have different um, income streams, number one. But in the franchise model, franchisors tend to favor multi-unit franchisees. And that makes sense because they're their biggest customers. So it sort of goes back to the old, do you want to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? Yeah, I agree. And I've known this about like McDonald's, for example, they don't, you can't buy one franchise in McDonald's, at least you couldn't uh, 10, 12 years ago. They look for three or four for people to own three to four, because also they, they know that you're committed to their business, to their franchise, to their brand. And maybe you can even utilize some sort of a, um, um, economies of scale because you own more. So it definitely makes, makes sense. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So Stacey, um, share this advice or thoughts that you have on this question. If you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what would you say? I would say, don't worry about what other people think, do what you want to do. Because I, even though I loved my time in corporate America, I really did. And I loved every job I had and every person that I met. Um, but I also wonder where I would have been if I had pursued that entrepreneurial spirit and dream at 22 instead of waiting till I was 45. Awesome. I love that. And so as we wrap up here, what, uh, how can people connect with you? What's your best preferred um, I guess, social media or way of connecting with people so, so that people can learn more about what you do and just uh, stay in touch. Yep. So I am on Instagram and it's uh, Stacy Beck Marmalejo there. I, yep, that was the only place that my name was taken already. So um, Stacy Beck Marmalejo on Instagram or my website is my name, Stacy Marmalejo and it's S-T-A-C-E-Y. M-A-R-M-O-L-E-J-O.com. And there's some information on the boot camp up there as well as my background. And and I would love to chat with anybody who is thinking they might be interested in a franchise. Not that you want to buy one. If you want to buy one, I can introduce you to people who can help you buy one. But that's not what I do. But Terrific. Terrific. Thanks so much, Stacey, for being a great resource i really love talking about franchise because i think it's it's a really really interesting niche and it's a really interesting topic and a really interesting way of entering entrepreneurship kind of as a safe bet almost i was gonna i think it's the best first business you know because it's not like if you buy one it's not like you have to have it the rest of your life you can buy it and flip it sell it get another one but you learn so much about running a business through a franchise. I agree. Yeah. 
I agree. Thanks so much for, for being a great guest. For those of you listening, you can find the show notes be uh, in the show notes to this podcast. And if you're watching a video on YouTube, then you will find the links on how to connect with Stacey below the video. And thanks so much for listening. And Stacey, thanks so much for being a guest. Tatiana, thank you so much for having me here. I love your book and I will plug your book. Anyone who's thinking about starting a business, I actually have it sitting right here. Oh, right there. See, yeah. I have it there as well. So anyone who's thinking about starting a business needs to get a copy of Dream Bold, Start Smart. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. And uh, talk soon. Thank you.